Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. I just felt like I wanted to be compensated for my services in football in Bitcoin. We've got that story plus the sage Stalinist shaping UK lockdown dictates. But first, you might recall Frank and Claire Underwood broke up on House of Cards. So how are Bill and Melinda Gates going to divvy up their $150 billion fortune? We've had a few days to adjust to the reality. And if you haven't heard it, we're breaking the news for you now. Bill and Melinda, one of the world's most preeminent power couples, are filing for divorce. The world's attention, of course, is now turning to the critical question. Forget about all the, you know, the vaccines and the eugenics and stuff. Let's go tabloid about a you know, divorce. Interesting questions, though. How will they divide up a fortune that's been quoted to be as large as $150 billion and, of course, includes an investment fund that is the biggest private owner of farmland in America, among other dubious distinctions? As TMZ and others scrutinized the divorce documents filed in Washington state, it was initially believed that Bill and Melinda didn't really have a prenup in place, but the reality is more nuanced. TMZ, of course, went to the trouble of getting the official divorce petition from the King County Superior Court. All those documents are PDFs embedded in this article. But to sum it up, whether they had a prenup is irrelevant since they appear to have already hammered out a separation agreement that sets out how their assets will be split and their various obligations to their children, charitable endeavors. Wouldn't it make you feel good as a kid to be included in that same sentence? You know, charities, kids, cars and whatever. You get the fake milk sun blocking sperm blasters. I'll, I'll take the luciferase frankenfood quaxine. So it'll be a perfect split. This also makes the writers at Zero Hedge wonder whether Bill and Hillary have one of these private contracts in place spelling out their obligations to each other in the Clinton Foundation family. But of course, the spicy memes, James, the Babylon Bean has that Melinda changed her mind after Bill Gates you know, gave her a vaccine and says he's the most wonderful husband. Uh, I really like the tender one that shows that Bill and Rachel Levine are a match if you swipe right. Uh, then it gets gnarlier. When you're newly single and you lost your wingman, a nice picture of Bill Gates with his buddy, Jeffrey Epstein. Because that gets us to the hardcore questions after the jokes and the memes. What if Melinda's divorcing Bill Gates over Jeffrey Epstein? Maybe she was down with all the eugenics ops and vaccine scams, but draws the line at Mossad-connected child kidnapping rape blackmail rings? James, these are the IBM glyphosate holocaust eugenics families, the ones that have weird DNA labs down here in New Mexico. Oh, but they're totally going to split everything up, right? Is this like basically like Rockefeller oil, James? It might be. I don't know. That's that's kind of the point of this at this moment. We don't know what this is and how this is going to play out. Um, and obviously there are the low-hanging lulls to be had here in the schadenfreude and pick your favorite meme. Uh, mine is uh, Gates searching for vaccinated single women in his area. And then, of course, they're all rubbing the glowing spot on their arms. So, yeah, I mean, there are funny jokes to be had. But, yeah, seriously, what does this actually mean? And I know I've, I've heard you uh, float on the Morning Monarchy the last couple of days that this is completely staged. Um, which to me actually seems a bit optimistic. Because that seems to imply that there is actually something that could actually happen, that there's some sort of legal thing that's going on that they're trying to distance themselves from. If there is, I certainly haven't seen it. Uh, I don't know what that would be. 
Uh, this certainly could play into a number of psychological operations, one of which could be, I mean, imagine if Melinda came out and said, I, I was just so disgusted by the way Bill was trying to protect the intellectual property of the vaccines and keep them away from those poor, st starving Africans on the other side of the planet or whatever, and making that an issue. Because, of course, we know, right? Everyone here knows that that itself is a psychological operation designed to get you to go, well, I'm, yeah, obviously, I IP is a bad thing, so uh, we shouldn't apply here, and he's killing people by keeping the vaccines away from them, so we've got to make sure they can copy the vaccines and give them out, and wait, no, oh, wait, oh, I've just been psyoped into, into supporting the very agenda I was supposedly against, so that's the kind of thing that could play out here, but um, I, I don't know, ultimately, and so we'll have to see how this plays out. I I know, for example, the uh, the dividing of certain assets has already started. For example, millions of shares of Canadian National Railway and AutoNation, worth a combined $1.8 billion, have been transferred to Ms. Gates from Cascade Investment, a holding company for Mr. Gates. So the, 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 be the beginnings of the game have started. The real question is, how does this affect the foundation and ultimately its agenda? And I'm going to go out on a limb, and although I don't know, I'm going to predict this will derail absolutely nothing about the agenda itself, which will roll on regardless. Um, th there will be, th they'll continue. I'm, I'm sure the experiments to block out the sun will continue. The uh, Let's switch the entire human population over to lab-grown lab meat synth synthetic products will continue. The buying up of the farmland will continue. All of that will continue. Of course, the rollout of the vaccines and the ID that goes along with it, the biometric ID that's going to be tied into your digital payments, all of that will continue, I have no doubt. It's just in what form and in what way, and will the will the foundation operate in a different way right now um, than, or in the future as it is right now? And if so, again, I don't think that derails anything because people might have noticed... I didn't cover it explicitly in the Who is Bill Gates documentary, but Melinda has been the driving force behind a number of the initiatives of the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, including specifically that uh, conference I talked about that just happened to be held in London on the 100th anniversary of the uh, 1913 First International Eugenics Conference back in 2013, just by coincidence, of course, where they were talking about what were they talking about? Oh, that's right. Population control in the third world, of course. <laughs> wow. What a, what a, again, just coincidental. And she was promoting, for example, Depo-Provera Depo and other implantable um, birth control products that are controversial in a number of ways, even amongst the normie crowd. So again, I, I think Melinda has been a driving force behind this agenda. I, if there's any difference in their perspectives, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe we'll see it as a result of this. Maybe this is, oh, she's finally getting annoyed about the Epstein stuff that was revealed years and years and years ago, and now she's divorcing him? Question mark. Again, that makes no sense. It, there's nothing that I've seen to support any of that. The de devil will be in the details. We'll see what happens from this, but I'm not holding my breath waiting for any jot of this agenda to be derailed one iota of an inch. No, it's probably mostly going to be as though when you chop off the tail, is it the salamander? You chop off their tail, they'll just grow a new tail. And it's almost like a, let me find my, my trust the science metaphor, like the splitting of amoebas. They'll create new, completely independent and autonomous life forces, and they'll continue the agenda that obviously their families have been into for just a hundred plus or so years. Uh, James, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was earlier today. Biden's now saying that the U.S. is open to the idea of letting some of that intellectual property out so that we can, of course, help 
save the third world because we've got all these vaccines piling up because nobody wants them. On a semi-related note, as long as we're talking Epstein, and these are the sorts of things I talk about more in the media monarchy kingdom, if folks haven't seen the recently resurfaced clip, VH1's fabulous life of billion-dollar Wall Street ballers fawning over Jeffrey Epstein, it is pretty stunning stuff. Of course, it's got President Bill Clinton in there and some pretty amazing, unsurprising House of Cards guest stars as well. I've been covering, of course, the ongoing Epstein saga every week, week in, week out on Media Monarchy, and that's how it goes in the brave New World Order. Our second story on this New World next week, episode 446, I think is basically the rhetorical question, because if we've done the research and look into what they've said, what they've done for 100, 200 years, we know why. But let's just pose the question. Why is a Communist Party member shaping UK's lockdown policy? And we grab this from the American Conservative. And again, everything we say always down in the show notes. Last week, the Daily Mail published not one, but two articles noting that Dr. Susan Michie, M-I-C-H-I-E, a member of the British government's scientific advisory group for emergencies, SAGE is the acronym. She's also a frequent presence on the BBC Big Brother Corporation speaking in defense of lockdowns. She's also a member of the Communist Party, a card-carrying member, as they used to say. The daughter of two Marxist scientists, Mitchie's been a party member for 40 years, and the BBC's never covered the story. They might think it's old news, since it's known that Mitchie's affiliation, she's been a commie for a long time. It's an open secret. You know, what is, is that like, you know, McCain's wife said about said about Epstein. Oh, we all knew. It's true that Mitchie's affiliations have long been known. She was married for almost 20 years to Andrew Murray, another longtime member of the Communist Party of Britain and defender of Stalin and North Korea. He served and is an advisor to Jeremy Corbyn. But it is relevant, obviously. Dr. Mitchie is not an epidemiologist or a virologist, you know, not like Dr. Gates. Her expertise is behavioral science. She specializes in getting people to make different choices. Her day job, while not telling Bojo what to do for the UK lockdowns, she works at the University College London's Center for Behavior Change, a delightfully Orwellian name for the organization. You can kind of see how a communist might be attracted to a field that has such little regard for individual freedom. That's one reason to be alarmed that someone with Mitchie's beliefs is setting policy for the British government. And of course, James, this isn't the first time we've covered the shady folks covering the shady scamdemic in the UK. This article points out another reason, though. During the Cold War, two basic rationales for firing commies from jobs of responsibility, even when they were kind-hearted idealists, one, it reflected poorly on their judgment, and two, it indicated their allegiance to a foreign power. Where lockdowns are concerned, we can add a third reason. Lockdowns offer a perfect opportunity to achieve a pretty close approximation of the commies' desired goals. I went and grabbed those two Daily Mail articles. They are in the show notes. Fellow Marxists searched Professor Susan Mitchie's baby's pram for propaganda at some convention or, or a conference or something. They checked her baby stroller to make sure she wasn't sneaking in harmful matter. The other, Mitchie, big fan of lockdowns. She's even been known as Stalin's nanny. James? 
Thank you for digging up those uh, those Daily Mail articles that this is sourcing from. Obviously coming from um, Peter Hitchens. And uh, I, I think people should read through them to see the absurdity of it. Yes, with the literally searching the baby stroller for uh, fellow communists searching her baby stroller in case she was smuggling in really radical literature into one of their, their meetings. I mean, <laughs> that's how far to the, to the crazy side she is. And uh, it just keeps getting more and more crazy as you read through that article, so I hope people will do so. And eventually, of course, it gets to the juicy part where she's saying, um, in regards to China's uh, strict draconian nailing people uh, uh, inside their own homes uh, during this crisis, uh, China has a socialist collectivist system, whatever criticisms people may have, not an individualistic, consumer-oriented, profit-driven society badly damaged by 20 years of failed neoliberal economic policies, hashtag learnt lessons. As in, you know, hey, Chicom is the way of the future, guys. That's the way we gotta go. So yes, literal card-carrying communists are the ones that are telling you you cannot leave your home until the government tells you to... Do you see a problem with this? Because I certainly do. And for anyone who may be new to my material and does not know my position on these things and is thinking, well, what are you saying, James? Are you saying we should have some sort of neo-McCarthyist witch hunt to make sure there's no there's no people of political ideologies that you don't like inside government telling people what to do? No. No, that is not the straw man that, uh, that you are creating, Mr. Imaginary Interlocutor. It is, uh, that's completely in your own head. No, I think no one, regardless of any political persuasion has the right to tell other people to stay inside their own homes, unless unless they're criminals or convicted of something. But no, just ordinary citizens. No, you have to stay inside your home. We have done the risk assessment, and we have decided that the risk is too much for you to go outside your own home. No, sorry, that is not how that works. Even if you are in a pandemic situation, which is not a, uh, a particularly popular thing to say at the moment, but it must be stated full-throated, uh, in a full-throated fashion, because if you start picking away at the details, well, this isn't really a pandemic, and da 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 No, you have to get to the actual issue that people are arguing here. In a real pandemic scenario of real, something really going around and killing people, does the government have the right to lock you inside your own home? And if you think that the answer is yes, then go join Susan Mitchie and her communist fellows and argue about the details of when and how and under what conditions. I do not advocate for that. And yes, the creepy part of this, more so than her political affiliation, is her actual research. What does she actually research? What does she do? Well, you can find out more about that at socialsciencespace.com that had an article up at the beginning of 2020, January 7th of 2020, Susan Mitchie on behavioral change, talking about with each new year comes a wave of good intentions as people aim to be better. They want to lose weight, exercise more, be nicer, drink less, and smoke not at all. They want to change behavior, and as Susan Mitchie knows well, behavior is related to absolutely everything in life. And they go on to talk about how she's a health psychologist who leads the Center for Behavior Change at University College London. And it goes on to say, changing behavior is important, quote, in order to solve any of these big social challenges, we need people at different positions in society to change their behavior. And she goes on to talk about there are certain problems which are very self-evident. Uh, the poor dying unnecessarily, etc. These are areas where the social consensus is that things need to change. And I'd say those are the ones we start with. And so, yeah, how do we start doing that? Oh, well, here's a good opportunity to change society at a very fundamental level. level. And if you think that this is not important, I will direct you back 
for example, to I've I've talked many times before, the human animal is the most studied animal on the planet, and they are very interested in learning how you tick and how to change what you believe. And one example of that that I'll cite is my propaganda watch from last year on how to deal with vocal vaccine deniers, talking about the years now of conferences, scientific journals and papers and all sorts of things that have been issued on how to debate people about vaccine issues and how to how to deal with vaccine hesitancy and all of this. They have been studying your psychology for many, many years now, and they're going to act on it now in this time of crisitunity. But wait, it gets even worse. At, at, the, at any rate, we're talking about the ways that they're going to try to message you and, and, and reach you in this way or that in order to change your opinion. But in the future, they won't even need to do that. It will be click of a button, whatever, infect you with some sort of nanobot that will change you at a, at a, uh, at a, at a neurochemical level to change your behaviors. And you think that's crazy sci-fi nonsense from tinfoil hat nuttery land over here in conspiracy world, right? No, actually, that's the Chilean government. Um, I will uh, point you to an uh, article from the Economic Times that just came out a couple of days ago. What's in your head? Just like in Nolan's Inception, brain tech can hack your mind. Neuro rights can keep you safe. And it's talking about how the Chilean government is now uh, trying to spearhead some idea for neuro rights that they'll sign some sort of, you know, legislation or treaty or something that will prohibit uh, companies from being able to infect your mind and change your behavior without your consent kind of thing. Um, at any rate, they're at least talking about it. I'm not holding my breath for the government to stop that from happening. But that is the game for all the marbles. That is what this is really about. It is about your behavior and shaping who you are on a behavioral level. Uh, never forget that that's what Edward Bernays says. The, the hidden power of society are they're trying to shape your, your habits and opinions. And how do they do that? That, that? Those are the hidden powers of society. They are the ones who are directing what's going on. And it goes back to people like Susan Mitchie. So that, this is an incredibly important story, whether people understand it or not, but I suggest you check the show notes for some of these links so you get some, some of the bigger context of what's going on here. They have mapped the minds of men, as the fantastic documentary from Truthstream talks about. James, I saw a picture the other day, somebody holding a sign that essentially says, we're now sick until proven healthy, which is essentially the same thing as guilty until proven innocent. Another example that this is the 9-11 paradigm, just jacked up on <laughs> steroids. Ay, ay, ay. Our third and final story on this Neural Next Week, episode 446. You know, this is where we usually bury the really odd stories. Or at least the really interesting ones. Kansas City's, that's a football team, you know, with the racist Indian name. Kansas City's Sean Culkin becomes the first NFL player to convert entire salary to Bitcoin as we take this article from Disney's ESPN but I'll route the link through archive.is. If he makes the Kansas City Chiefs roster to begin this season, tight end Sean Culkin will be the first NFL player to convert all of his salary to Bitcoin. Culkin, who is vying to be a backup tight end behind the starter, would be paid his $920,000 salary by the Chiefs in U.S. dollars, but in turn will convert it to Bitcoin. I've always had a lot of interest in and a passion for finance and economics from my days at Mizzou, University of, of Mississippi, I think. Even before that, my dad was really bullish on gold early on. 
I was always exposed to his philosophies on what made gold an intractable investment, looking at it from a macro perspective. There's a lot of overlap between gold and Bitcoin. I really spent all of my time in the off season the past year just hearing about this growing space in crypto. It just seemed like it was getting bigger and bigger. Through education and learning and having a level of conviction over the course of time, I just felt like I wanted to be compensated for my services in football in Bitcoin. That is Sean Calkin, 27. He joined Kansas City Chiefs this past February on a reserve future contract. He tweeted about his decision earlier this Monday saying, I fully believe Bitcoin is the future of finance. James, what do you think the mining fees are on a $920,000 salary? I, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, there are so many different ways to read this story, aren't there? And one of them might be suggested by the story, oh, undoubtedly apocryphal, but the story from uh, the Great Depression, the 1929 crash, where Joseph P. Kennedy decided to cash out of the stock market when his shoeshine boy was giving him stock tips. He's like, oh, if the shoeshine boy is trying to give me stock tips, I think too, it's a little bit overheated. I'm going to pull out and short the markets. And lo and behold... He starts to amass the $500 million Kennedy fortune. Um, yeah, not a real story. I'll have more to say on that in the future. But uh, it's kind of that moment where, you know, when the football players are starting to accept payment in Bitcoin, maybe maybe that's a sign. It's a little bit too overheated. But at the other side of things, people will say, well, no, it is the future. Um, and of course, then when you enter into the conspiracy discussion, it's going to be the people who are saying that this is the digital currency that will be the enslavement of humanity. And there will be the the other people who say, no, this is the way to get around the central banks and to, to get central bank fiat money out of our lives if only there was a way to bring these two sides together because maybe the pro blockchain yes anything bitcoin or anything crypto related is good side and the anything crypto and blockchain related is bad side maybe there is some sort of ground for at least a discussion a healthy discussion between the two one would like to think if if you'd be more interested in a nuanced discussion of the pros and cons of the crypto space, I would direct you to a recent article by Derek Bros uh, at The Last American Vagabond. Is there a chance to unite the pro and anti-blockchain crowds where you could have at least a, a deeper think about some of the issues involved here and uh, what they really mean and whether the technology itself must be directed, uh, sorry, must be uh, must be completely 100% avoided at all costs, or 100% embraced at all costs, or is there something in the middle, etc. It's, it's an interesting discussion. I will direct people in that direction. Anyway, clearly we are reaching a cultural tipping point when it comes to crypto and it's uh, sort of the, the space that it occupies in the minds of the public. And uh, yeah, I mean, the NFT craze and all of that probably points in the, in the direction of people have no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it. They're just getting on board with whatever they think is a trend. But that doesn't necessarily mean the trend itself is, is not going to happen. I mean, yes, there was a stupid dot-com craze in the 90s that did blow up as a bubble, but the internet didn't blow up. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously the internet continued, the World Wide Web continued. It's just that the stupid pets.com bubble nonsense that uh, that was ramping up in the 90s obviously didn't last. So we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. But it, as I say, at the very least, this is a, a milestone of, of sort of a cultural tipping point that we're reaching here. I was going to make the joke that the NFL made the statement and said, yeah, we'll pay in Kings of Leon NFTs. <laughs> How's that paying off for you, by the way? <laughs> 
I haven't I haven't checked. It's <laughs> it's so freaking complicated. I haven't even gone back to look at it. Maybe that'll be again the fun thing about collecting things. You're like, oh my gosh, look at this. Is... <laughs> I think the two things super interesting about this story. I feel like the headline, and it doesn't say that. The headline says. Kansas City's chief Sean Culkin becomes first NFL player to convert entire salary to Bitcoin. I feel like a lot of the other headlines kind of put the story out as though he's being paid and he asked to be paid in Bitcoin. And so they're going to go, cha-ching, here's your magical Bitcoin, which, of course, is not how this is happening. The other one, James, I think this also helps bring that cultural tipping point to where, oh, Janet Yellen on line one, she's very excited to make crypto you know, a really public talked about thing on our theft forms here in the States. Any thoughts on that, James, before we wrap this baby up? Uh, no other than to say that, yes, of course, of course, they're going to bring it under the purview of the central government. That is exactly the point of crypto was to avoid that. But um, can and will people do that? Or was it all along just a ploy to get you to to get into the system so they could get you? I mean, again, I'd say just go read Bros's article and let's have the, the intelligent, nuanced discussion about these matters. Uh, Derek Bros also has an article. I had it on the show earlier this week about Bill Gates, 23andMe, and of course how the giant fangsters have collected up everybody's DNA because their stupid brother sent it to him willingly. <sighs> I stream news, music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. Folks can become a supporting member and get into the whole members-only community, MediaMonarchy.com slash join. And James, can I go ahead and announce the thing about the audio? Yeah? Okay, good deal. I've also now got the exclusive audio of your New World Next Week episodes. I'll be playing those on the Media Monarchy stream on Thursday and Friday morning before the videos have been published anywhere. You might have noticed these last couple of weeks, we've slowed down the release of New World Next Week. And I think a bit of that, James, as we've talked off mic, is basically to give you and Brock a little bit of breathing room production-wise and, you know, sleep, I guess, if you want that too. But it also gives... I got to say, it gives Media Monarchy a very nice little promotional tool as we will be your exclusive first listen of the audio of New World next week before the video is published. James, probably at least, I mean, I'll be playing it at least probably 12 hours before the video comes out, I think. Something like that. Anyway, yeah, like I'm that. not staying up till midnight or 1 a.m. every single day anymore <laughs> getting things posted. So it can wait till the morning. <laughs> Japan time, which will be Thursday evening for you stateside. Anyway, people can figure that out. But yes, please go and listening to listen to the morning uh, the Media Monarchy stream uh, for all of that uh, material, including the New World Next Week audio, which will be available before the video is posted. On that note, do we have any other housekeeping things to bring up? No. Okay. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, again, looking forward to next week. Thanks for joining us, James. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care.